What I'd kind of thought of was that um, very often when we're doing our Zhenqigong, what we want to do is we want to get ourselves into a, a decent kind of mind state before we begin our um, before we begin our, our meditation, as it were. So I think we'll just do that first. It seems like a, an appropriate thing to do to uh, um, yeah, just to draw the mind back before we begin. So just find yourself a nice relaxed position. Generally speaking, feet flat on the floor, legs uncrossed, sitting obviously. Uh, if you're sitting cross-legged, <laughs> obviously that's fine. And then a nice long straight back, bring the chin slightly in. So when we stand in Jinang Qigong, we tend to stand um, just by tucking the tailbone forwards and, and uh, straightening the spine. When you're in your sitting posture, it's slightly different actually, you close Ming Men. And I think the purpose of that is exactly that, is to close and hold everything inside when you're doing your meditation. When you're doing your exercises, you open Ming Men and you allow the chi of the body to flow in and out. But in this case, your back slightly hollows, your tummy slightly sits forward, and that gives you the sort of the, the Buddha, kind of sitting Buddha posture. Your tummy's gently towards the front. Small of the back is hollowed. The nice long spine, chin drawing back in. And then we lift Bai Hui. The Bai Hui on top of the head is a nice long straight spine. And just relax into this posture for a few moments. Let's just release the diaphragm. That's just a nice tummy breath. When you breathe in, gently push your tummy forwards. When you breathe out, just squeeze gently on your tummy. So the tummy muscles sort of push back in a little bit. Breathe in, round your tummy, really push it out. When you exhale, the tummy just squeezes, tummy muscles squeeze gently and push the breath out. You can actually do it with your hands, resting the hands on the tummy. You breathe in, let the hands move forwards. When you breathe out, you can actually use your hands to push the breath gently out of the tummy. Pushing the bottom of the lungs, breath coming. More gentle, deep breaths like that. Long, slow and deep. Another one. Use your hands and move on to gentle breathing. Be aware of your breath today. Relax your shoulders. Let the breath flow. Find deep inside, center of the head. Outside world, just sort of brought inside. Shutters gently close as your eyes droop down. From the centre of the head, down, 
to middle Dantian in the center of your chest. Down to lower Dantian, the center of your belly. Spine nice and straight. These three energy fields nicely aligned. Breathing just released and relaxed and gently moving. Listening inside for a few moments. Finding yourself in a comfortable, easy state. So one of the questions that came through from the Luan Ling course that some of you guys are doing was, are we supposed to be practicing a true self-state and what does that really mean? I think that's a very good question. What do they mean by true self-state? This is this Going inside here, we're doing now. Drawing ourselves back from the outside world. As we've been doing in our enjoy meditation, which we occasionally do, is just to let ourselves dissolve into the background. There's two aspects to be mastered. First is to try and quieten down the outside noise. Sorry. Try and quieten down internal noise. And so seeing as the outside noise has distracted me, that's one thing to point out. I always say, there will always be things going on around you. There will always be sounds that try and draw your mind away from being inside. That's the first thing, combat. Just remember that all the noises around you are not being done to you. Not being done for your benefit or against your benefit way. They are just what they are. They are just things. So whenever you hear things outside, you might be meditating way nicely. Last night's class was teaching. Somebody decided to switch on some sort of saw next door. So those things are just things. Try not to be upset by them. Try not to feel that they're being done to you. The first is non-attachment. Staying away from those judgments. It would have been all too easy for me to say, oh, my next door neighbour is trying to upset me. Clearly not. That would only be the judgment I was putting on it. But keep your judgment away from engaging with these external sounds. The next layer is internal noise. As anybody who's done long-term practice knows, the more you quieten inside, 
quieter it becomes inside. Practice, practice, practice. Just trying your hardest to hang in there. Trying your hardest to still this internal noise brings about stillness, internal noise. It's gradual, bit by bit, takes its time. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. So the image that's always used is the glass of champagne. Pour in your glass of champagne and there's a fantastic rising of bubbles coming zooming to the top of the glass. The more you leave your champagne there, fewer the bubbles. Eventually, all goes quiet inside the glass. The same for you, as you work away with your meditation practice. There are going to be lots of ideas popping to the surface. Very often, your body or your mind is saying to you, we don't need to do this. Let's do something to switch on the television. Let's look at the computer. Let's check our phones. Some shopping we could be doing. A thousand ideas popping up. And that's really because the ego part of your mind, which is very active, doesn't like still. In a way, that's kind of the death of the ego people talk about so much. This idea that bubbling up, ego stays alive. The more you ask it to quieten, or it feels like child. I'm bored. I do now. So we have to just allow our ego to settle and quieten like a puppy runs around furiously. Once it's run around furiously enough, eventually if you ignore it long enough, it'll just go to sleep. So we're not truly killing our ego ever, because as discussed in previous times of this call, it's an important thing. We need an ego to navigate our way through life. We just need a well-trained ego. Let's take our ego to puppy school. Enough times, ego calms and relaxes. Becomes well-trained retriever, opposed to badly behaved puppy. So this is exactly what practice does for us. The more we practice away with our quietening, the more we just allow the ideas to go past without attaching to them. Fewer are the bubbles that come. What happens when an idea pops up? You think, oh, that's interesting, and you grab it. And suddenly you find your brain has moved off to Sainsbury's. You just have to gently coax it back in. Bring yourself back and you think, okay, well, we'll just start that process again. But again, there's no point in being 
honest with yourself. No point in feeling that you've failed at your meditation. You might as well give up and walk away because that really is the ego trying to trick you. It's a very clever fellow, the ego. It's like, oh, well, no, I'll manage it today. I'll give up and go have another try tomorrow. Your ego's won. So gently, corralling cattle, bringing them slowly back together, holding them in corral. Each time you do that, you become stronger. Each time you do that, that's another major stumbling block you've got past. Surmounted that problem. So this is do nothing meditation. It's allowing the little ideas to come up in front of you, almost like images on a screen. But if you wait long enough, the image will just float away, probably be supplanted by a new one. But again, just gazing gently at it, not attaching to it, and it goes. So the thoughts float by. Your deep attention stays solid. Watching the thoughts floating by. Well, that's one type of meditation, do nothing. But there's also do something as well. You can find a mantra and gently repeat it. They say it's better to fill your mind with one thought, a thousand thoughts. So either way, stilling the activity. It's no brain power to run a mantra through tiny, tiny percentage of brain power. I think that ultimately the do-nothing meditation, probably a very strong one, slightly more difficult to master in my opinion, only in my opinion. What I do know is that these two types of meditation work on different parts of your brain. So I think it's good to do both kinds of meditation. It's like going to a gym, an arms day and a legs day, of working upper body and lower body, working two different types of meditation help any difference. But we still are mine draw our mind back inside. We centre our mind. In a way, having a guided meditation from me, this, that we still do something that allows you to focus on my voice, staying still inside. We bring ourselves into this calm state, either through breath, single thought, with no thought. It brings us into a different brain wave state. Gamma, eta. It allows us to become more open, receptive. It allows us to hear and process things in a different way. 
Just maintain this state as long as you can. You can gently open your eyes. Just carry on, as it were. Okay, so. Um, various different things have occurred to me today, and uh, I wanted to go through them, but it was also, whilst I was wondering about um, what best to present here, I remembered that I'd been sent through an interesting email, one of you guys, um, and, and it, it was in the, the general work um, that we've been doing, but it also relates to the work that Lu and Ling have been doing. And so I wanted to just to answer some questions here. And uh, the first question was, where is the ego and its um, process and its processing located? Where is the ego and its processing located? Is it in the brain or is it in the soul? And it comes with a partner question. Where's the mind and its processing located? Is it in the brain or is it in the soul? I thought these were rather interesting questions. And I think that probably if you'd ask those from my Chinese teachers, they would just say to you, you know, you're overthinking it. <laughs> don't, you don't need a location. But then that's also not a very satisfying um, uh, answer, in my opinion. So I, I've been having a little bit of think about that. And, um, and I, I think the first thing that comes to mind was that uh, I've covered before uh, a conversation about my own personal dichotomy about brain, uh, sorry, about soul and spirit. That what I was, um, you know, offering, as it were, was that there are possibly two different paths there, because in the Western world, we tend to use the word soul and spirit almost kind of um, interchangeably. But the question is, are they interchangeable or are they different? And so I considered this for a long time, and I'll just give you the short version of this answer just to sort of start that set of questions rolling, I came to the conclusion that there were two entities, soul and spirit, and that soul was very much part of the human body. And I think that when you look at the, the um, Zheneng Qigong story, we see that we have qi and we have uh, information, and that qi is very much of the body, and information is very much of the true self of the universe. And so for me, I thought, OK, there's not so much of a dichotomy there as I thought, because it feels like soul. You know, when people talk about soul, they talk about something that's very kind of um, body orientated. You know, he's got soul, that kind of thing. Excuse my terrible accent. Um, and so um, uh, I think that soul is very much related to the physicality of the body and uh, uh, has some part of, you know, a refined essence of qi. I think qi and soul equate quite nicely. And so, um, and I think that spirit and true self equate nicely as well. I think that they are, are different kind of parts of the equation. And uh, so for me, um, uh, and then this was the lovely little confirmation that one of you kind people suggested to me after I last talked about it, was that if you look at the um, ancient... Um, Hebrew uh, system called the Kabbalah, which I know absolutely nothing about. But when you look at the tree of life in the Kabbalah, it starts from a root and then it goes, it takes two separate paths before eventually rejoining again at the top of the tree of life where enlightenment occurs. 
And so it suggests by looking at sort of the map of the tree of life, if you like, that there are indeed two paths suggested through that um, uh, um, spiritual path. It's not, not faith, that's not the right word I'm looking for, but that, yes, that spiritual path, I suppose. The Kabbalah suggests that there are also two paths. And I think that that's exactly uh, sums it for me, that you can follow a life which is entirely of soul, um, which uh, uh, when I thought about who I would think of as a soul person, I would think of, um, and I'm not thinking of James Brown, I'd think of someone like Mother Teresa, who, you know, would spend her entire life um, helping people and doing sort of kindly acts and things like that. And that feels to me very much something of the soul. And then I mentioned to you this whole idea of the spirit and, and how um, there seem to be people who w w go through lives uh, as very, very spiritual people, but they're not necessarily kind of the what you would term the nicest people to be in contact with. And this is where I told you a lot about sort of Jed McKenna, this uh, curious author whose books are really about tearing everything down in the spiritual world. They're really uh, about, you know, chucking it all up in the air <laughs> and how he sort of says, you know, the path to finding your true self through spirituality is not a nice one. You know, don't come this way unless you feel absolutely obliged to do it, he says, you know. And he talks about the, the death of a thousand cuts of your spirit, where you have to hack away at, you know, everything in order to become your true self, where you have to give it all up. And then, um, uh, and I point to Dr. Pang, the story that I heard about Dr. Pang, where he um, tricked his driver of 25 years into believing that the driver had, uh, or, 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 okay, I better tell the story properly, I'm sure you've heard it before, but essentially a visiting dignitary arrived at the centre, and um, at Dr. Pang's medicine, the centre, and uh, the visiting dignitary gave them a huge envelope full of 100,000 yuan and said, this is a gift for the centre, and, uh, uh, and Dr. Pang accepted the envelope and gave it to the driver. The driver then took it and put it in Dr. Pang's desk, as was customary, and then the next day, Dr. Pang said to the driver, there was a thousand yuan missing from that donation. You must have taken it. Uh, and the driver immediately, no, why would I do such a thing? I've been faithful for you for 28 years. I've never left your side one day. I've, you know, and exploded, as you would do, probably. And the question is, you know, are you enlightened enough not to do it? And Dr. Pang, the bottom line was to, was to say, You've been studying Zheng Qigong for 28 years. You still aren't in control of your emotions. You know, do you see that? And that was the prod that he was given. And sometimes the prods you're given by your teachers are really quite unpleasant. You know, you're given a test. Can you make it? And this guy couldn't make it. And after these years and years of self-practice, he was still stuck in his ego, still unable to break through. When Dr. Pang created this little trap for him, and a trap it was, you know, he exploded and, uh, uh, and, and left Dr. Pang's employee and never came back again. And I think, what a sad story. But, you know, in a funny way, if you want to have a master, a master is someone who, te who tests you. And uh, I always tell, uh, just to amuse you, that every time Lu and Ling come and stay over here, um, they always set a trap for my ego. And I fall into it year after year. And it's only recently when I um, confirmed with John what was going on that he said, oh, they do that for me every year. And I fall into that trap as well. So John is my teaching partner. So, um, you know, they, they, they come to stay with me and they go to stay with John. And when they're with John, they always say to John, you know, that uh, of the three monkeys, we like you the best. <laughs> 
And then they do the same to me. They say, you know, you know the three monkeys, you're the best teacher, don't you? And uh, year after year, I've fallen into that trap and go, oh, thank you very much. And then I think, oh, there you go, missed it. Missed the opportunity, how foolish. They weren't complimenting me at all. They were just seeing what state my ego was in. And so I was aware of this and I finally realised my shortcomings in it and uh, was able, uh, when Ling said to me the, the, the last time she came over, she said, you know, you know, I think you're the best teacher of the three monkeys. And I said to her, you know that I feel that you're the best between yourself and Lou. And she just laughed. <laughs> and she got it. And she realised that we'd moved on another stage. So now I have to look and see what the next trap is that's coming up. You know, because I, I feel that, um, uh, yeah, so anyway, things, people, you know, these are life tests just to see where you are on your on your scale. And uh, this uh, um, author, Jed McKenna, says very clearly, you know, don't come this way. You know, it's a painful process. You have to lose and leave everything behind if you want to move on to this layer of uh, enlightenment. And and who would bother? Why would they bother? Why would you cut away all of your family? Why would you leave behind all of your worldly possessions if that's what's required? You know, why? Why would you do it? Why would you end up in this kind of, you know, state? Um, last night, uh, I... There's a whole, whole story behind it. It turns out that I'm moving house. <clears throat> I had no uh, um, doing in it. My landlord decided that he would like to sell the house. And so, you know, oh, well, there we go. Shock. The whole process has started. And so uh, in, in the sort of mental cleaning up of things that's going on in my mind, I was looking for something to switch off to. And yes, I do watch television. And uh, in the past, I'd uh, recorded um, Lucy. I don't know if you've seen the film, but uh, it's a, a really interesting piece um, by Luc Besson. And uh, essentially, in Lucy, um, they've developed a new drug, um, which is from a hormone, which is part of the um, pregnancy process. And it's the part of the pregnancy process where the hormone is put into the body that suddenly makes the baby's bones and development explode. It's an exponential moment at after six it's after six weeks where everything starts to move. The premise was that this extraordinarily powerful drug had been synthesized and uh, exploded inside Lucy's body and that she suddenly became able to use 20% of her brain, then 30%, then 50%, then eventually 100% of her uh, mental capacity. And what would it be like? And so, it, you know, we use about 10 or 15% at best of our mental capacity. When she was getting to 20%, she was suddenly able to see the chi of trees. She was able to touch her friend and understand the, the, the full sort of, you know, um, capabilities of a friend's body that her friend had an illness. Uh, you know, moving on to 30%, she was able to listen into communications and, and connect into the networks of telephones and, you know, translate people's languages instantaneously and uh, understand the operating of the universe and all sort of stuff and it went on like that and it's interesting because all of the things that we hear as being paranormal abilities from Dr. Pang were, were put into that film as being where we go to the kind of abilities that we would you know receive if we do our meditation if we go deep and we spend our time in true selves and so it was, it was lovely just to watch this film and it's a great action movie as well you know, it's, it's fascinating uh, to watch. And inevitably there's Chinese gangsters and lots of shooting. And, you know, uh, and, um, you know there becomes a, a time when Lucy's able to um, 
move gravity uh, to, um, to to make people stick to the ceiling and all sorts of things. And all of these kind of things that I've heard about it in the setting of, of extraordinary abilities, extraordinary capabilities, they're called, um, were highlighted in this film. And essentially, um, when Lucy gets to using 100% of her brain, she's then able to move her way through time and space and realises that you know, that humans, that we um, as, a, as a whole believe that a human life is the most important denominator in this, you know, in our experience, but that actually we realise that that is just a drop in time and that the universe is available to us and that all the information that always has been is available to us. And so these are the kind of ideas that we hear about behind enlightenment. So it was almost like a, 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 um, a drug version of enlightenment. And I've often thought that the whole LSD generation was part of that story as well, where um, people used mind-bending drugs just to open up portals that were not available to them prior, and that people got snapshots of enlightenment uh, by using you know, LSD or mushrooms or whatever it might be. And I think that... Um, uh, you know, there are there's the whole sort of class of drugs which are there to sort of, you know, shut you down and quieten you. But there are a whole sort of class of drugs that are there to open you up. And I don't think uh, my feeling about those is that synthetically experiencing them may give you an idea of where you can go to. But then um, uh, I don't think that it's ever a real version of that. I think it's always a kind of like a a snapshot of that and so my feeling is that they whilst they might be valid for a very closed 1950s generation to suddenly make them realize that there was more to it that there was a mystical side to it i don't think from a much open much more open you know 9, 2020s generation that there's any relevance at all i think it's a very sort of you know dangerous tool um, and so I think that, you know, the door, the portal was opened and, you know, through writers like, you know, sort of Timothy Leary and things like that, we understood that there was, you know, a wider um, experience to be had, but that um, now uh, we can find that wider experience ourselves. And certainly that has been my experience that the few times that I have touched into these kind of experiences, that I've had um, things that fit entirely into the sort of Carlos Castaneda kind of, uh, descriptions of worlds without having to actually do anything to make that happen at all, apart from doing deep meditation and being at one. And I think that there we are, as we work our way through um, the soul path, um, allowing ourselves to develop in a soul way, um, things like gratitude and compassion, opening and developing the soul way. But on the other side of it, the spirit side of things, trying to quieten things deep inside to find the true self, um, you know, to unearth the true self and carve away the kind of um, uh, rubbish that hides the true self. And when these two paths start to converge again, we're starting to find our way towards this sort of enlightenment moment. And the key with meditation is being able to hold yourself in that state. Because as we know, after, you know, five minutes, ten minutes, an hour, a day, whatever it is, the state just dissipates and disappears. And so it's like a muscle. You can only hold that, you know, weight up for so long before the muscle eventually gives up and drops. And so it's only through practice that we allow ourselves to um, soften uh, the, the state enough to be able to hold it long enough. 
And then I don't think that that's necessarily a requirement for the future. I think that, you know, breaking down the barriers will allow you to be in that state for a much, much longer period. I don't think it's it requires work. And in fact, actually, what I think it requires is not work as opposed to work, not work. Um, uh, I think what is required is that letting go and release. Uh, so in, in, a, in the first instance, it requires the effort to hold it in place. And in the second instance, it then requires the, the non-effort to, uh, to continue to hold it in place. And so that, again, is just a learning process and going through um, uh, the process to allow that to, to occur, that you can hold that state for longer and longer, be in that state. And I think that, you know, when you reach enlightenment light, you know, it's the first stage of being able to hold it for any sustainable kind of time to be in that place. And then eventually, you know, when we get to the sort of the 100%, the idea in this film, Lucy, is that she just becomes absolutely one with the universe, is able to scroll back through time to see the big bang, the clouds of gas, the formation of everything, mankind coming out of the swamp, and eventually, you know, back to where we are. Interestingly enough, it didn't scroll into the future. Uh, and, uh, I, I, you know, I had a thought about that and wondered, because I think that, you know, at that stage of connectivity with all there is, that seeing the future and seeing the past is just part and parcel of the whole thing that understanding how your connection and how your actions and how human actions and connections affect the future, build the future. I think that must be part of the story as well. And so, um, uh, yeah, the, 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 the film nicely illustrated the point that there are these um, uh, abilities that come through our practice that uh, don't require some, you know, funky drug of any sort to get us there, that we can do that and and that um, we can choose to do that. Should you wish to lead a soul life where all you do is give and, and um, uh, uh, you know, be a perfect person like Mother Teresa, then that's fantastic. You know, why not? Why not do that? There's nothing in this world of free choice to say that you have to do anything. And the other option is, Quite literally, do nothing at all, not even meditating. Just get on with your shopping, enjoy your life, just continue as much as you wish. Here's my lovely neighbour, I'm just going to wave at him. Um, uh, you know, you don't, you don't feel you have to um, uh, do anything at all. There is no requirement in this life. There are no written rules that say you should become enlightened. And uh, if uh, reading Jed McKenna is, is true, if his experience of it doesn't put you off it, then, you know, um, who would, as it were? But uh, if you feel yourself drifting in that direction, then you have a little bit more of a road map, perhaps, with which to work. And so um, it it gets us back to the questions then about you know where are all of these things in 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 us? Um, where is the ego? What part of that? Where is it located? Where is the mind? And so the truth of the matter is that actually it doesn't really matter at all. Um, you know, those things uh, um, are, are just, um, do they even exist? They're just ways of looking at shades of the process and um, uh, kind of compartmentalizing them. And so that's one of the things that we love to do as human beings is to put things into a compartment, is to box stuff up so that we know where it is. Moving house, that's very much a story for me. 
you know, putting things in boxes. But um, so ego is just a, a, an idea that we use along with secondhand self, along with self-image uh, to describe functions of, of ourselves. And so Lou is talking about this very much on his uh, on his talk at the moment. The idea that um, they are kind of like uh, just shades of the whole, that they're just easy handles to put on things and um, just to, to kind of get a grip to uh, ideas. And essentially, um, it just allows us to, yes, just to, to view and see and to give a, a, an opinion on um, how those things uh, affect us. And so by saying, is your ego too strong, you know, too much? Um, is there actually something there that is, you know, a thing? Or is that just an idea that gives us uh, a small handle on one of the aspects of self? And I think it's that. I think it's just a, uh, an idea. I don't think that ego is demarcated uh, perfectly and that secondhand self is demarcated perfectly. Self-image, likewise. I think that they blend into each other and they become one. I think that true self is quite different. I think mind is the product of our brain. So mind is... Um, uh, what happens when these very refined Kunyuan Qi cells are active. So the idea in, in Hunyuan Qi's structure is that there is Hunyuan Qi of the universe, and that is just the most basic building block of everything. Our entire universe is made up of these tiny, tiny pieces of Qi, let's say. But when we draw them into the body, we start to make them into human Hunyuan Qi. But slowly we refine them process by process inside the body, Qigong being one of them, and they become, they become um, the finest, finest, finest Hunyuan Qi in the entire universe. And that uh, is the Hunyuan Qi that's inside our neurons, I would suggest. But that is how the mental process is brought about is the interaction of the true self with this extraordinarily refined, highest refinement of chi in our universe. And that is where mind is made. Where does it exist? I think mind, as, as you know, most Western scientists kind of have it, it, is in the neurons, but certainly not exclusively in the head. It's throughout the entire body because there are more neurons outside of your uh, ET brain than there are inside of your brain. And so the entire body is a mind device, that mind is not just something that happens in the brain, it happens throughout the entire body. So mind is the processing local processor. The universe is the infinite processor. True self is the connection between the two. So true, true self is kind of the localised piece of processing power that you have that's kind of unique to you, I suppose. I think it's not unique to you um, from a universe perspective, because as I say, I think true self is both the universe and you at the same time. I would say it's probably unique to you as in each of us has our own little sliver of it in a very kind of compartmentalised human thinking method. I think that, you know, 
I have my little piece of true self and you have your little piece of true self and our true selves are connected together through a network of information uh, on so many different levels. But I think that our true selves are also part of the entire cosmic mind, which you may refer to as God. So I feel that, you know, that um, little piece of God acting inside of you um, is also part of the overall uh, information layer of the universe. God, your seeing eye, whatever it is you wish, however you wish to address it. So we are plugged into the universe uh, to God at all times. And we have that sliver acting inside of us. And I think it's impossible to suggest that I'm able to describe in human words that um, multidimensional experience. Uh, and so as a human, it's easy for us to try and, you know, um, box this whole thing together. And of course, you know, use analogies like cloud computing. You know, you have your little computer here and the cloud has its massive uber computer that's connected to all the other computers around the globe and that you can use the internet as your go-between. Well, my feeling is that, you know, your local computer is your um, network of uh, neurons and that your uber computer is the universe, that uh, E1T is the, the kind of the go-between, um, you know, between your true self and the universe's true self. And so I think that that is kind of like, you know, the cheapest, messiest, um, uh, daftest kind of, uh, you know, version of it, but perhaps it gives some sort of little taste of it. And so when you ask, where is the ego and it's processing, and where is the mind and it's processing, I think that kind of describes where it is. Does the ego get carried on? The third question that comes up is, does the ego get carried over from our previous life as part of our reincarnation, or is the ego totally formed during nurturing? That's a great question too, I love it. And I think that um, probably I would say that ego is a, a construct of this life. Okay, so um, the bigger question of um, reincarnation and uh, does such a thing exist? And I think my feeling about that has always been, if you would like it to. And so <laughs> um, I think that's a you know, vague enough answer for that, but I'll try and, uh, try and um, make, my, make myself understood, um, try and understand it myself, I suppose. Um, does reincarnation exist? My feeling is that this is such a universe of, of um, wonderful choice, free choice, free will, that if you would like for karma and uh, reincarnation to be parts of your structure, so ipso facto, if you were perhaps, uh, and excuse my lack of just knowledge, if you were a Hindu or a Sikh or, or, or someone along those lines, then and devout, <clears throat> then that would be, uh, I imagine, deeply embedded in your in your own cultural structure. And that would be something that you've been given by the um, surroundings that you come from. Certainly, if you're sort of, you know, someone who believes in Western spirituality, the chances are you've probably had that structure imported from those religions as well and probably have reincarnation as some sort of belief in in your in your structure as well if you've been brought up in a in an exceptionally strong fundamental kind of christian background 
you probably have a sort of a, a, a heaven and hell structure involved, um, which is much more likely to be um, your, uh, you know, embedded at some level, your belief structure. And that would be that, you know, you go to heaven and that the, you stay in heaven or, or worse, you go to hell, you know, but uh, that you don't reincarnate. And so that might well be your reality. Um, I remember um, reading uh, uh, a book. Let me see if I can grab it now. Um, just lost him now. A Qigong master who lived in Manila. Um, Jim Jack. First time I encountered him, it was a lovely film that I saw on YouTube. And uh, just this little Chinese looking character standing there. He scrumpled up a huge ball of paper and put it on the floor beside him. Just put his hand above the paper and it just caught light. Um, Chang, Chan, Chang. And um, the book was written by one of his students, uh, a Greek Qigong practitioner. Anyway. Um, doesn't really matter uh, if I if anybody was terribly interested. It's about negong, which is internal energy work, uh, cultivation of negong. It's just another qigong system, basically. And um, uh, he talked about one of his ascended masters, a master who had been his teacher for many many years, then had told him this extraordinary story and had said one day to him, or called him Jim because I can't remember. I think it was Jim or Jack or John, John Chang, said to John. Um, I'm going to die um, in six weeks' time on the 11th of November at, uh, you know, seven o'clock in the evening uh, in my home in uh, Japan. He was incredibly specific about how he was going to die. Um, they call it something like, you know, the death of the seven orifices or something like that. And then he said, but don't worry about that because that's just me moving out of my physical body and I'm going to continue to, I'll be back. And so this was this information that was given to this John Chang. And um, and uh, and he said, you know, please call my next door neighbour. Here's his telephone number, you know, after this, the time, the allotted time and ask him to come and check on me. And so um, the, the master then left back for, for Japan, where he'd, you know, not lived for about 20 years. And um, and John Chang didn't hear from him. And then John decided it was the obvious thing that he had to do was to call at the allotted time. So he called up the next door neighbour and said, look, I'd like you to go around and have a look at uh, your next door neighbour and see how he is. And sure enough, he was dead on the floor, lying there, and he had um, bled from the seven orifices. So from his eyes, from his ears, from his nose, I think from his anus, you know, I can't remember, is it called eight or I don't know. But um, he had basically you know, died exactly as predicted, at exactly the time predicted. And that what then happened was that um, this is where our Greek uh, author comes in. He had gone to Manila and found John Chang. And uh, he was told that he could sit in on the classes, but that he had to sit at the other side of the room and just meditate quietly, whilst the students who were um, kind of uh, uh, advanced students sat and talked with the Ascended Master. And he said that over a period of time, as he developed himself, he was able to see this teacher um, in his uh, spirit form, that he was able to interact with him himself. And that um, the story that came through was that... Uh, um, in this particular culture, they believed that for 40 days the spirit was still around after it died, and then that the spirit could come back um, if you had mastery over your, 
your body, if you'd spent enough time in this life mastering your body, you would then be able to continuously interact on some level with people from this realm. And that there was a period when people died, and it, basically what he described was something that sounded very much like purgatory, that if you had um, spent a bad life, you would spend you know, a, a period, a long period of time in darkness with um, a complete lack of understanding as to where you were and what was going on. That if you'd spent a lot of time in good time uh, uh, on this earth, that you would have a short period of time, which was a, 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 a period of light and learning. And so, again, that was a kind of like a, a model that um, he uh, described as being his belief system. And so there are plenty of belief systems around, and whether it be karma, whether it be heaven, hell, whether it be good or bad, whatever it is, this is a universe of free will. And I think that whatever structure you subscribe to, that's what you'll get. So that's my feeling about, you know, is there such a thing as karma? I think if you believe there's such a thing as karma, then that's your belief system and you will get that. You will find some sort of recycling process, let's say, when you move to the next, uh, um, you know, journey, whatever it might be, that will, will mirror that. Because I think you've chosen that. And I think that you choose the way of being and non-being, you know, always. I think all of us have chosen this life, you know, to, to live this 3D existence, to run through this particular little Sims uh, virtual program for this particular body to learn some stuff, to expand the knowledge of the cosmos, to be God experiencing himself in three dimensions. And so I think that, yeah, we've done that. You know, we've, we've, we've brought ourselves uh, down this path. And whatever it is you believe is what you'll get. So if you believe that you know, you're about to burn in the fires of hell, I'm sure you'll get a dose of that for a while. You know, that's, if you want that, you can have it. It's a free world. So I suggest that you adjust your belief system to suit something you really want. <laughs> so think, think on that. So, yeah, um, uh, I think that um, ego is something that's entirely built. I think that we pretty much arrive ego-less. And that ego and secondhand self and self-image are all built by, uh, you know, our interactions with our parents, our interactions with life and so forth. Uh, and uh, that it's all part of our sort of nurturing process. And the final question that I was asked was, um, can we access E1T and or the true self whilst the ego is strong? Does the ego get in the way of healing? This is the, the, the assumption that uh, I always made was exactly that. You have to get rid of your ego in order to find your um, true self. And so there is just a little question inside that question there, the way it was written, can we access E1T and or true self. So I think that they're part and parcel of each other. And I've um, described this before that I think that, you know, EUNT is both the container of and the true self itself or the true self process, let's say. And that maybe the true self is slightly different from EUNT, but that um, EUNT is also part of the true self itself. So for my feeling, true self equals consciousness is exactly what Lou said um, last uh, the weekend before last. He says true self equals consciousness. And I think that E1T can be seen as being the container, the sort of the holder of true self and kind of manifested by true self. So I think that the two, E1T and true self, are basically inseparable from each other. They are function and form. 
And so if we um, just use um, true self as the, as the, the sort of the more acceptable word, um, I, I don't think we, we, I think it's sort of didactic. So I think it's really sort of, you know, drilling into the, the minutiae that where it's not 100% necessary to do. I think that, um, you know, uh, you can draw a distinction between you and T and true self, but I don't think that it's a useful thing to do. I think if we imagine them as our consciousness um, and the function of consciousness, that's all we really, really need to know. And so the question is, can we access consciousness while our ego is so strong? Does ego get in the way of healing? And I think that that's a really interesting question. I think that um, healing, I think that the ego needs to be strong. I think the ego, and, and Lewis said this quite a few times before, that he likes working with business people. And uh, he talks about uh, a business guy who was a very famous, um, locally you know, famous guy in Amsterdam, uh, who they used to work with, who had kind of made himself into, uh, uh, you know, uh, had three businesses running, big cars, big houses, all that sort of stuff, and had become incredibly ill. And Lun Link basically described to him how this whole thing works and how he had got to the stage he was in. And then he instantly saw the kind of path that was required, made astonishing cuts, sold two businesses uh, instantaneously, making very good sales for them, you know, slashed and burned through his life and uh, uh, sold houses, got himself a, a, a kind of like a healing place to live in the countryside, much smaller and easier to handle, um, you know, dissolved his life in such a, an astonishingly efficient and uh, business-like way that he was, and then turned his full power to making healing for himself and used his incredibly powerful ego to make that healing happen very quickly. Uh, and, um, you know, it was Lou saying, basically, you know, he was able to see what was required, slice through the bullshit, as it were, and turn the power of his ego to the healing process in exactly the same way that he turned his ego to creating his business empire. He was able to turn his ego powerfully on like a searchlight into the middle of his own problems and sort himself out incredibly quickly. And so, yes, his ego is an incredibly powerful tool for him to use. But it comes down to this, um, uh, and, and it was the route to total healing for him. He was able to access consciousness and use ego as the ray gun <laughs> that was able to blast consciousness into every corner of his illness. So ego is like the, you know, the, the uh, we don't know what rays get shot out of a ray gun in our space movies. But now we've got a consciousness ray gun that's able to kind of like, you know, blast healing into the depths of illness. And so, um, yeah, let's uh, use that as an idea. Let's use our E1T function as uh, a way to project um, uh, uh, the ego to be holding this consciousness and to be pointing it in the direction that it's needed to be pointed in. And so the ego becomes a fantastic tool. The ego becomes the handle for the ray gun where you can hold the ego and you can project the consciousness deep into every illness and wash away all of the problems of the illness. So the ego is actually a vital tool, but it's always this old story about 
Okay, got it. So I just see where one last story can be useful for us here. And you've probably heard it before, but um, we've not been able, it, you know, what tends to happen in the stories from the, uh, the healing centre is that um, uh, the stories get a little bit lost in translation uh, and uh, we're never quite sure who's being talked about. So there were actually, uh, Luke Chan actually made you know, about half a dozen videos of people's um, bladder cancer and tumours and things being dissolved. But the one that become, became very famous was the one where it took about two, three minutes for the doctors to help this guy's tumour just shrink. And we've seen it on, on YouTube numerous times and it gets banded around. And so, interestingly, there's a story that's very similar to that, and we're not quite sure if the guy who is um, pictured in that video is the same guy or not. But um, we spoke to teachers, Lou and Ling, about it at one stage, and basically what they said was, yeah, that video worked very well, and it was obvious that the person's healing was complete, but within three months their um, uh, uh, illness had come back, and within you know, six months they were dead. And uh, so, oh dear, that's not a very inspiring story. And they sort of said, well, that was just one particular case, but there was actually plenty of other cases where people healed themselves just like that. And so, again, we're not saying that the guy on the video was dead six months later because we haven't actually any, no real no way of knowing, lost in the mists of time, if that was the bloke or not. And so um, it's, it's slightly unsatisfying, but actually one of the stories that came round was the story about um, one of the... the you see, I've already managed to mess this up. One of the stories that came around was about a guy who managed to heal himself uh, from... Let's see if I can... Ah, okay. Yeah. We get the story about the... Uh, um, about the, the video from Luke Chan. We'll go back to the story about the guy lying in his bed, having had his spine crushed by the factory. And what tends to happen is you hear the story, that he had his spine crushed, he was put to bed told he would never ever walk again and that he would be paraplegic. He then did lift you up, put you down in his mind for an extended period of time. Suddenly found his fingers moving, then his arms moving, then he could sit up. Eventually he could walk. And what happened was Dr. Pang said, you know, this guy, he heard the story about this guy healing himself and said, he would be a wonderful person to have at the medicineless hospital. And uh, so he was invited to come to the hospital, but it turned out that he was the most unpleasant man who anybody had ever met. <laughs> And he would walk around, you know, so the story normally ends and he healed himself and he walked and everybody goes, wow, how incredible. But then what you hear is the story carrying on, that he was a really unpleasant guy and that he was invited to come to the medicineless hospital by Dr. Pang and uh, that um, he just got on everybody's nerves. He would walk around and for years he walked around the medicine hospital saying, I'm the person who healed myself from paraplegia. I'm better than all of you other teachers. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, he was, I think Dr. Pang liked him because he became a great sort of test for an awful lot of other people at the centre there, you know, being poked by this guy day after day, you know, saying, I'm the best teacher, I've healed myself. And so what happens in the story is that he never really manages to heal his own ego, unfortunately. And the thing that brought him his healing was the power of his ego. He was able to channel everything into this healing process. And then... When he was well again, his ego was still rampant and powerful and uncontrolled and wandered around the centre telling everybody how amazing he was. And eventually he then had a stroke. And, <clears throat> you know, you'd have thought that if he'd been aware of himself enough, he'd have been able to understand not to do that. But he had a stroke. 
And uh, so we then take the story up a little bit later, where he's then taken himself away from the healing centre and has spent an awful long time and has healed himself from his stroke. But the story goes cold there. We never know whether he then um, managed to... He just never came back to the centre, or the centre had closed by the time he then healed himself fully from the effects of his stroke. And nobody knows whether he was then able to spot the fact that his, his ego was what was doing the job and bring his ego into control and live a sort of quietened life. And so, yeah, the story about ego is what's really important, is that it becomes a very, very important tool for you to use. It's a really kind of, you know, um, powerful thing to have under your belt. But then you have to know when to switch it off. I always sort of say, you know, it's the most important, powerful tool in your toolbox. But are you able to put it back in the toolbox at night and just become quiet, calm self, not the man who did this or the man who did that? Gosh, and I say man, because it seems to be such a male thing, ego, doesn't it? So, yeah, ego is a fantastic healing tool. Ego can move things along at a rate of knots. Ego doesn't need to be killed in the way that sometimes you hear Buddhists talking about it. It's a kind of misunderstanding of the idea, the death of the ego. Ego needs to be controlled. It needs to be put back in its box on a regular basis. You need to embrace the silence that comes when the ego stops talking. And that's my cue to stop talking. Okay, well, I hope that's answered those questions. And I hope that's also kind of like, you know, opened a bit of a, a window onto, um, onto other subjects for you. So in um, uh, the, the process for this Wednesday call, what I would like to say is that, you know, I really, really welcome questions like that. Um, it gives, you know, such food for thought. Uh, it really helps me to, to um, work on my own process. So if you find yourself having questions like that, please, please, please. And also, um, you know, we've opened up for those guys, some of you guys here who are studying with Lu and Ling on their summer course. And if you guys, if there are other ones of you who are not studying but decide you would like to, it's still not too late to join in. Um, we have a WhatsApp, um, WhatsApp process for putting questions out there and answering the questions. But um, feel free to use this little forum as well send off questions uh, relating to that because they're relating to the Uber Zheneng Qigong experience nonetheless. So I really enjoyed doing just a little Lachi session last week and I think rather than doing anything else I think that would be great just to do that again. I think it's just you know Lachi is, is an absolute fundamental of Dr. Pang's work. I feel that if you did nothing else in your life just doing Lachi every day would be the way to do it. You know to dissolve all of the problems and let go rebuild. I think it's just such a powerful, powerful tool. It just brings us to realise that what is really, really important here, important is keeping your body fit and healthy. Important is letting qi move around. But what's really, really important is cutting through the old stories and renewing your renewing your true self, revealing your true self whenever possible, letting go of, go of the old you and moving along the path to the new you. So, so much of Lou's talk is about viewing yourself from another perspective. No different to everything we learned from Eckhart 
Polly as well, about becoming the observer of your life, stepping back, just looking, seeing things that operate you and getting away from them. So that's a common feature from so many spiritual paths. Lachi is one of the greatest tools to do that. What we'll do with our Lachi today is we'll just do our normal open and close for a while, get into the rhythm of that, and then we'll open out into a sort of meditative space where we feel totally dissolved out into the universe. We'll just stay there for a few minutes, completely open, completely at one with everything. And then eventually we'll work our way back. And so we just use um, Kai as the opening tool and her to kind of like keep you open as a, as a backstop. Kai uh, um, opens you even further and her becomes your new backstop. So don't close on the her. When we're doing that part of it, you don't close. And in fact, actually, I might just use the term open and then not use close. So we might just, I might just switch over to open, 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 and Dr. Pang will keep going Kai and her. I'll just use open. And then eventually when we get to close, we're starting to bring back universal chi, bringing back the best of energy back into our lives. So we'll just use her to close ourselves down, bring ourselves back into our physical selves. Okay. Very good. Find a nice relaxed space. Here's our Lachi with Dr. Pang. Maybe we'll just let Dr. Pang go through the opening statements. Suspend Bakwe. The whole body centered and upright. Close the eyes slightly. Draw the vision and mind back. Relax the head. Relax the chest and back. Relax the waist and hips. Relax the legs. Relax the whole body. It's in front of the chest, arms face each other. Practice open and close. Only six to ten centimeters. Wow. Uh... 
dissolve, dissolve, dissolve. back inside. Reform chi deep inside your
gradually just going to open further and further. Eyes open. Her just holds you in place. Dissolve and open a little further. Deep inside yourselves, we open, feel the universe. Deep inside yourself, open, 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 feel the universe. Just holds you. Opening out into the universe. Feeling the space of the universe. Open wider and wider and feeling the space of the universe. We're just going to use kind dissolve. Cellular level out and open, open. I no longer any version of you, 3D realm. I letting all come. This 3D existence, axing into yourself, one all there. Experience yourself at one.
moment pride, charity. Assemble, true self, total understanding, or the urge to say anything to me. Hold that moment. Experience that moment so. Expand that moment of pure potentiality out. Hold moment potentiality. Sometimes it feels as if you don't. Sometimes it feels as whole versus. It's potential. Feel the spark of potential. That is our God, our dear you, never separate. Just perceive. The raindrop turns to the ocean. Feel the universal stillness. The abundant potentiality. From this true self space, think, make anything. You are the creator of your life. Create one today. You are the creator of your life. You are the powerful creator of your life.
create everything you for the best possible life you Feel this moment with Chad. No time, no space. Know that you can Slowly going to draw from the universe back into our body. Only bringing amazing stuff back into the body. Simple little 3D existence needs all of your help. As the universal you feels sometimes almost impossible to hold all of this universe inside this fungal 3D body. Sometimes you feel truly out of time and space. Sometimes you feel helpless. Never lose sight of your true personality. Never forget the extraordinary power you have. So just start to visualize drawing chi back into your body. From the universe, this amazing chi back towards from the universe, the best of information flows back in. Maybe you see it as a blessing from God bring down a Your own singer deep inside every cell.
in that moment gem deep inside every cell for you. new inside every cell of your body great new information healing you at the deepest deepest level Great new information guiding your new future, your new path. So now we'll just go a few times to Dr. Pang to kind of exercise this amazing chi we to our body. Penetrates deep inside. with information and chi. Just a few more times. Eyes open. Flowing deep inside. Wide open. Quiet enough. Getting quieter. And then we'll just do the last two in silence. Gently draw your hands back to your back. Just hold our hands on the Breathe deeply. Just feel the power of this little exercise. Just know that you are able to heal yourself at the very deepest level. Not only heal yourself, you're able to heal others. 
not only others, but just our whole world. As you are the whole world. As you heal yourself, others heal around you. As you heal others around you, the world changes. Just by doing your simple lachi, you change the entire world. Change the world, change our universe. Proudly work on yourself. The knowledge that you're helping everything. Everything is connected at such a deep level. All healing for you. And totally. So we just start to bring ourselves back towards our bodies. Feel inside your body. We're going to close off lower dantian to begin with, despite running three anticlockwise circles around the tummy. This just helps to kind of gather ourselves together, bring ourselves back into the body, just to feel your body from head to toe. And then when you reverse the three circles in the opposite direction, just holds all the chi inside. Brings you back to yourself closes down all the acupuncture points and the pores, readies you for your day ahead, your week ahead, your life ahead. Moving forward in this perfect healed way. Moving forward in this still powerful way. Let what you've done here today operate and echo through your entire life. Just be this change. Feel it at the deepest level. Walk through your day with this deep stillness inside you. Help to heal our world as you go. Sound in the knowledge that you healed yourself at the deepest, deepest level. Healed at the deepest level. Paula, everything good. Paula, the deepest, deepest level. Paula, feel it through every cell of your body. Paula, everything good, everything sorted, everything working perfectly. Okay, so we can release our hands, we can slowly open our eyes. Hmm, give yourselves a little bit of a stretch. Just move whatever you have to move. Oh dear, ran over a little bit there. Got lost in chi. Okay, so I think we need to say hello together as a group as well. So, um, I shall unmute. Together. <laughs> um, I unmute all. Very lovely to work with everybody. Day. Hands up. Okay, so we'll just say how loud together. One, two. How One, two. How One, two. How Lovely. Thank you very much, everyone. Good Thank to see you all. Classes again tomorrow morning, nine thirty. Come and do some exercise. And uh, yeah, and uh, tomorrow night as well, six thirty if that suits. Good to see you guys.
Uh, and just um, this is going up on, on um, YouTube, as the other ones are doing. Also, I've decided to make them into a podcast, so I'm going to put them up on podcasts as well. I'll let you know all about that. Um, and then there's another thing. Oh, technical thing. Um, yeah. Uh, Zoom are going to insist upon passwords. You can't have a password-free call. And waiting rooms. So in July, it's all going to become a waiting room you go into and I have to bring you in and you have to fill in passwords. Or gets a lot more draconian. But don't worry, we'll make it all work together. Okay. Lots of love. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.